good morning. If you'd open your Bibles with me in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, we're so thankful to be able to come into your presence, to bow before your throne of grace, and have our praise, our petition, our thanksgiving heard because of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we dare only come into your presence in him, in the beloved, pleading his obedience as our only righteousness, pleading his blood as the only way that our sin could be cleansed. And Father, how we thank you because of your electing, adopting mercy, grace to your people, sinful men and women such as we are can come into your presence calling the God of heaven and earth our Father, our Father which art in heaven. Oh, we're so thankful. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, your your electing grace, your saving, redeeming grace, your calling, your keeping, your glorifying grace. Father, how we thank you. And Father, I pray this morning that you would enable us to have an hour of true worship, that you would enable us to forget about ourselves, our desires, the going-ons of this life. And Father, let us worship. Let us sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him. Let us learn more of him. Give us faith to believe him, to trust him, to rest in him, to cast our all upon him. But we pray for ourselves. Father, we especially pray for our children's classes, that you would bless our children, bless our teachers, bless our children in this hour, that you might use this time to plant the seeds of faith in their hearts. Father, we also Pray a blessing for you everywhere where your gospel is being preached today. Father, cause your word to run well in this dark, dark day. Father, give us a revival in the land. Show us your glory. Call out your people. Give, give us a, a time of, of refreshing by your blessing the gospel everywhere that is preached. And Father, we pray for the sick and the hurting, those that need you especially. We pray you'd undertake in their behalf to comfort their hearts, to heal their bodies, to lead and guide and give them a special portion of your presence. Comfort their hearts with your presence until you see fit to bring them out of the valley. And all these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I've titled our lesson this morning, The Savior in Gethsemane. We're going to look this morning at the the last few moments that the Lord spent with his disciples before he went to the cross to suffer and die for the sin of his people. Now these are the last moments he's going to spend with them before he goes to suffer. And the disciples spent some of those moments asleep. They were in the presence of the Savior getting ready to offer himself for the sins of his people, and they were sound asleep. Now, believe me, I'm not being hard on them. I mean, they had to be physically exhausted. It was, it was nighttime. You know, our bodies need sleep. I mean, it just gets to the point sometimes you can't stay awake. You've got to have some sleep. I'm not being hard on them. 
But there's a lesson I want to take to my soul from this. Here's the lesson. I don't want to spend time alone with the Lord. I don't want to spend time in the, in the worship surface, spiritually asleep. I don't want to do that. I, if I do, I can miss something vital to my soul. And these last moments that the Lord spent with his disciples before he suffers, they're recorded here for our learning and for our benefit. And I pray we might learn something of our Savior. There, there's some good things here that uh, will thrill our souls by enabling us to, to trust him more fully. Now, the first thing I see here is this. The suffering and death of Christ is the one and only way God's elect could be saved. Verse 36, Matthew chapter 26. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the, unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them. And went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Now when the Lord prays this, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't trying to get out of going to the cross and suffering and dying for his people. That's not why he prayed this way. I mean, so many times the Lord has told us over and over again, this is the reason he came incarnate, to suffer and die. So he wasn't trying to get out of suffering and dying. It could be he prayed this way so that we would know there's no other way he could save his people from their sins. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the God-man. He's both God and man. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. I know the math of that does not add up, but that's divine arithmetic. He's 100% man and 100% God. He is as much God as if he were not man. And as much man as if he were not God. And what's causing him so much anguish here, this anguish of his soul that caused him to be sorrowful, exceeding sorrowful and heavy, was not going to the cross, not dying on the cross. I mean, he could endure those physical sufferings. Uh, many people had to at that time, didn't they? You know, they, I mean, as horrible as that was, people suffered that. What was troubling his soul so much? was this, being made sin for his people before he went to the cross. The thought of the Holy Son of God being made sin was so horrible to him. He thought just thinking about it might kill my body. He thought I just might die before I ever even get to the cross just with the sorrow of thinking about being made sin. 
And the scripture says that's what happened. He was made sin. Now, I know there are times in scripture that the scripture talks in type and picture. But this is not one of them. When Christ was made sin, that happened in reality. When he was made sin, he was made guilty of the sin of his people, even though he never committed a sin. He, still, he was made sin. He was made guilty of the sin of his people, but he never, he never committed any sin. But that sin became his so that he felt the guilt of it. He felt the shame of it. He said, I'm not able to look up. I'm not able even to, to look up into the face of my father because the shame of the sin that was put upon him. And he suffered the full penalty of that sin because that's what he deserved. That's what a guilty man deserved. When he was made sin, he was made guilty of that sin. And he thought, this is just going to crush my soul. The thought of it, it's, going to make, it's just going to make my body die. You know, the, the physical suffering wasn't what caused him such anguish of, the soul, of soul. It was the, the Holy Son of God being made sin. You see, if Christ died for sin that was not his, if he, if he paid a debt, that, it never, that debt never was made his debt, you know, the Lord would have died like a hero, wouldn't he? It had been like a soldier defending his country. The, the soldier didn't die because he did something wrong. I mean, the soldier's innocent, but he died, you know, protecting his country. And he didn't deserve to, but he, you know, you know what I'm saying. Well, Christ our Savior did die a hero's death. I mean, who's more of a hero to God's people than the Savior? I mean, he's our hero because he took our sin away. He took the sin of his people away from them. And he died to satisfy it. He died to satisfy God's justice against that sin. He was made sin so that his father would be just in putting him to death. And that's the worst suffering, his soul suffering. That's what he's talking about here. Now, this is what scripture says, and we need to pray for the faith to believe it, because we can't comprehend it. I mean, we just, we cannot comprehend Christ being made sin. Our brains just can't comprehend such a thing. But the scriptures give us enough information to know why Christ was made sin. See, this is the issue. Why did the Father make him sin? Here's the answer. Because that's the only way sin could be put away in justice. The only way. In justice. See, the Father... Couldn't put an innocent man to death on the cursed tree. Because that would be unjust. It would be unholy. God can't do that. The father had to put a guilty man to death on the cross. And he made him guilty. He, he was guilty of no sin. He did no sin of his own. He knew no sin. But he was made guilty of the sin of his people. And the father killed him for it in justice. To satisfy his holy justice. That's the only way God can put away sin. It has to be in reality. It has to be. The sacrifice of Christ that included all of his suffering, his physical suffering, his soul suffering, all of that was necessary. His suffering unto death, all of that was necessary because it's the only way God's justice could be satisfied. It's the only way God's elect could be saved. It's the only way God's elect could be cleansed from their sin. Now, if there was another way to do this, I mean, the Savior says, if, if there's another way, if it's possible, there's another way. If there was another way, 
other than the suffering and death of his son, other than the father making his beloved son sin, if there was another way you can rest assured of this, the father would have done it. <laughs> the father loves the son. I mean, from, you just you know that from just a cursory reading of scripture, the father loves the son. If there was any other way to put away sin, other than making his son sin, and the father plunging the sword of justice into the very soul of his own son, if there was another way, the father would have spared his son. All that suffering and all that humiliation. But there's not another way. There's not another way because God's holy. God cannot ignore sin. God cannot just say, well, the debt's paid. The debt's paid. We'll just mark it paid. It's not paid, but we'll just mark it paid, and we won't demand that it be paid anymore. Now, that's fancy accounting that won't pass an audit. That's not holy. It's not right. It's not true. God can't do something that's not holy and true and just. Justice can't be satisfied by God ignoring sin. And the father just couldn't pretend that the sin debt of his people belonged to Christ. He, 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 the father couldn't say, well, I know you're innocent. I know the debt doesn't, the debt doesn't belong to you, but I'm going to demand it of you anyway. The father can't pretend that. That wouldn't be just and that wouldn't be holy either, would it? If Christ did not truly take the sin of his people away from them, and put it away, make it to not exist by washing it away with his precious blood. If he didn't take the sin of his people away from them, then it's still on us. It's got to be somewhere. It's got to either be on us or on our substitute, one or the other. And if he didn't take it away, put it away by his precious blood, then it's still on us. And a holy God will demand our damnation because it's just. So the Savior wasn't trying to, to get out of being this, this, this suffering and dying for his people. This is what he's showing us. How willing he was to drink that awful cup of God's wrath dry. He said, if there's another way, but if there's not, I'll drink it. And there wasn't another way. He showed how willing he was to drink the awful cup of God's wrath dry because he's the only one capable of drinking. You and I couldn't even take a sip of that cup. He drank it dry. He's the only one who could. And he did it because that's the only way he could save his sinful people. Those people that he loved. It's the only way they could be saved. is by his suffering and dying as their substitute. Well, here's the second thing. Now, the only way God's people could be saved is by the, the crucifixion, the, the death of Christ. And here's the people that Christ saved. A sinful people. A sinful people. The disciples who were there with the Lord, they fell asleep. And they're just like you and me, aren't they? I mean, now we're not being judgmental against these brethren. <laughs> they're just like us. Here they were, they're alone with the Lord. The Lord told them, I'm exceeding sorrowful unto death. I mean, he, he told I'm afraid this thing's going to kill me. They were alone with the Lord. They, they had the opportunity to listen in as the Savior prayed to his Father as the sacrifice for his people. They're on the very precipice of the hour of hours. 
I, uh, you know, I, I, I love to uh, movies and books and things about World War II. Those fellows on that evening of D-Day, you know, they call that the hour of, you know, those, those boys didn't do much sleeping that night. <laughs> Getting ready to think about what they were facing. This is the hour of hours. The greatest hour in human history. These men were getting ready to see God's greatest glory revealed to his creation. God's greatest glory is that he would sacrifice his son to save a sinful people from their sin. God's going to sacrifice his son to make it right for him to justify sinners. God's greatest glory is getting ready to be displayed. They're getting ready to see every attribute of God more clearly displayed and more clearly glorified all at one time than ever before in human history. They're getting ready to see the wisdom of God on display. You know, Job asked, how, how can it be? How can he that's born of a woman be clean? How's that possible? Well, God found a ransom. In his wisdom, he found he provided the ransom that enabled him to be just and justifier. Nobody else could ever come up with an answer to that question. God did in his wisdom. These men are getting ready to see the holy justice of God. If you ever question that God's holy, all you've got to do is look to the cross to find out he's holy. God punished even his own son when sin was found out. God's holy, he's just. These men are getting ready to see the power of the Savior by his one sacrifice for sin. In those hours of suffering, he eternally put away the sin of his people. He's pleased his father by the power of his blood. These men are getting ready to see God's glory in mercy and grace to sinners. God's mercy and grace to sinners. Like I said a few minutes ago, it'd be something if God just said, you know what? I'm going to forget about your sin debt. That would be marvelous to us, wouldn't it? But it's even more glorious. It's even more awe-inspiring for God to say, I'm going to remain just and put your sin away by the sacrifice of my own son. I'm going to cause him unimaginable suffering and make him die as your substitute to put away your sin, to make it right for me to be merciful and gracious to you. These men are getting ready to see that on display. Here it is. We've seen it in picture and type and promise. Now the time has come, the sacrifice is to be made. God's glory is going to be revealed to creation like it never was before or since. This moment is it. I mean, this is it. This moment is the moment all of eternity hangs on. This moment is the subject of the whole Bible. This moment. They're on the precipice of this hour. And what are these three beloved, highly respected, blessed apostles doing? They're sound asleep. <sighs> sound like anybody else you know? <laughs> it does me. It does me. You know, the fact that the Father punished his son in the way that he did, tells me there's no way you and I could save ourselves. 
There's no way. Look at the weakness of these men. There's no way that we could save ourselves. The father would be a monster if he slaughtered his son to make his people righteous. He made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If there was another way for you and me to be righteous other than God sacrificing his son, making him sin, making him suffer all the effects of that sin, if there was any other way, if we could earn a righteousness by our good works, if we could earn a righteousness by our obedience, if we could earn a righteousness by our morality, if we could learn our righteous, earn our righteousness by our you know, good doctrine or you know, just fill in the blank, whatever it is you want to say you could do to earn a righteousness, if we could earn a righteousness that way, God would have been a monster in killing his son. Surely we can't hold out any hope that there's something we could do to earn our own righteousness, is there? We can't even stay awake. We can't earn a righteousness. So the only way we could be saved is by the sacrifice of Christ. Christ our Savior saved sinners who could never save themselves, who could even contribute to their own salvation. They know this. The only way I can be made righteous is if Christ was made sin for me. The only way I could be righteous is if he obeyed the law for me as my representative. The only way I could live, the only way God could not put me to death is if he put my substitute to death. The only way I could live is if Christ died for me. The only way God, could, the Father could show mercy to me is if Christ satisfied justice for me by suffering what I deserve. Christ's people, the people he saved, are completely dependent on him to save them. He's got to do all the saving. And then after the Lord saves us, we're still so weak, aren't we? We know the Lord, we trust the Lord, but our faith is so weak. Even after the Lord gives us eternal life, spiritual life, this flesh is so weak. <laughs> That's what actually the weakness of our flesh is what makes our flesh such, such a powerful enemy. It can't fulfill the law, but keeps trying to. Keeps wanting to bring you under captivity to the law. This weak flesh is a powerful enemy. It, it's what keeps us from being able to hear the gospel and worship our Lord like we really want to. You know, all of us would like to be able to hear hours and hours and hours and hours of good preaching, wouldn't we? I mean, I just, boy, if you could just hear good preaching, glorifying Christ, preaching Christ, we'd like to hear hours and hours and hours and hours of it, but now your hind end and your lower back can't take it. I mean, you just, it, you just can't take it. We've got to do this thing in shorter intervals because of the weakness of our flesh. We like to just hear message after message after message after message all in a row. But you know what? If we did, we'd forget most of it. Because we can't digest that much at one time. We're going to get sleepy, aren't we? <laughs> We're going to miss parts of it, you know. It's just we can't take that much all at one time because of the weakness of this flesh. The weakness of this flesh makes it we just can't digest that much gospel, and that much truth, and that much Christ all at one time. If we try, we just can't digest it. We're not taking it into our souls and digesting it and remembering it. That's the weakness of our flesh. So Christ saved the people. There are people who are 
completely dependent on Christ to do all the saving. And they're completely dependent on Christ to do everything that it takes to keep them saved too. Christ our Savior saved a sinful people. And the third thing, such, such an amazing thing, the Lord Jesus Christ is the willing sacrifice for his people. He prayed here, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. He's willing. He said again, Oh my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. I'll drink it. Then, verse 45, after he prayed the third time saying the same words, then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Now notice the, the tenderness here that the Savior has for the, the weakness of his disciples. He asked them to stay awake and pray. Can you watch and pray with me? My soul's exceeding sorrowful and death. Watch and pray with me. Watch and pray that you fall not into temptation. And they couldn't do it. They're just so, their flesh is so weak and they're so tired. Their eyes were heavy. They couldn't stay. I mean, I'm sure they wanted to, and they just fell asleep. After they did that, he willingly suffered for them anyway. Christ our Savior willingly suffered to save a weak, sinful people. He willingly submitted his Father's will. He said, Father, not as I will, but as thy, thy will be done. If, if this cup cannot pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. I'll drink it dry. I'll tip it up and drink the very bottom dregs of it dry. I'll take all of your fury, all of your wrath, all of your justice against the sin of my people. I'll do it willingly. And isn't that what he did? Nobody took the Savior to the cross against his will. He went willingly to the cross because the cross is his will. It's his will all along. He prophesied 2,000 years before it happened. Yeah, 2,000 years before it happened. This is what's gonna, and then he did it. He, it's his will. That's the only way those sinful, weak men, weak in the flesh, could possibly have crucified the Lord of glory is if he went willingly. Here the disciples are asleep. It's nighttime. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Savior knew the mob was coming to get him. How easy would it have been to run and hide in the dark? There were times they tried to lay hands on him, and he just walked right through their midst, and they couldn't lay their hands on him. How easy would it have been for him to hide in the dark? Just leave the disciples there. You know, they'll be like the, the distraction. And I'll run and hide. It would have been so easy for him to do. But he didn't run and hide. Not only did he not run and hide, he woke the disciples up and said, let's go meet them. I'm going to go meet them. This thing is his will being done. He knew that mob was coming. And at first, I think this is very interesting. At first, he tells his disciples. He, he's not being uh, 
uh, sarcastic or, or something here when he tells them to sleep on. It's like he's telling his disciples, all right, the, the, the mob's coming. You sleep on now because you're going to need your rest. The, the mob's coming, but you sleep on. I'll protect you. I'll watch over you. I'll protect you in this thing while you sleep. Yeah, you're weak. You're weak in the, the spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. I'll protect you in your weakness. I'll handle all of this for you. You just sleep on. He said it in such pity for their, for their weakness. He said it in such pity for our weakness, didn't he? Our weakness. Isn't this just exactly the thing the shepherd would say? You sleep on. I'll protect you. I'll take care of this for you. And I'll tell you that, the willingness of the Savior. The fact that he would die for a sinful, sinful people. The fact that the only way they could be saved is his sacrifice. And yet he sacrificed himself for them willingly, lovingly, cheerfully, because he had a joy in seeing those people redeemed. I tell you, that ought to move our hearts to trust our bodies and souls both to the Savior, shouldn't it? It should move us just take our rest. Take our rest in Christ. Take our rest from the law. Rest from fear. Rest from condemnation. And rest in Christ. He's watching over us. He's already put away the sin of his people. He's already taken care of our sin problem. He's watching over us. He never slumbers nor sleeps. When we sleep, he never slumbers or sleeps. He never falls asleep on the job. He's always watching over his people. What a shepherd we have. He saved us when we were dead in sin. He saved us when we were yet his enemies. And he keeps watching over us. And he keeps us even when we become spiritually drowsy in his very presence. I don't know about you. I mean, I do know about you. I don't know if you realize this or not, but I know this about myself. That's the Savior I need. And I tell you, if that doesn't move our heart to worship Him and, and commit our all to Him, it's because God hadn't given us a new heart. If God's given you a new heart, that'll, that'll, that'll cause you to, your soul to be thrilled and trust Him. All right. Oh, God bless that too.